Lord, we're thankful for bringing us here, for calling us to this place, putting in our hearts a desire to follow you, serve you, to know you, and to especially receive the gift of Jesus. So as we talk today about your church, I ask your spirit will open our hearts to what that really could mean to us and how we may best serve you. For Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So when I was quite young, I learned a little thing about the church and it surprises me how many other people learned this when they were young. Do you know this one? Watch my hands. You know this one? Oh, you got it, right? So, so it goes something like this. Now, I found out that people say it different, so it's okay if I say it different than you, but this is the church, here's the steeple, open the door, see all God's people. Something like that? A lot of you know that, right? Isn't that amazing? My grandmother taught that to me. It's interesting when we think of the church, what our experience of the church has been, depending on where we've been and who we've been with. So what were your first impressions of the church when you had your first experience? Some of you were young like me, some of you were much older when you had your first experience. But it matters what that experience is because it helped to shape how you understand the church, what you expect from the church, what the church means to you. And the people that are around you, even today, still shape that understanding, the meaning of the church. It's interesting because the church has meant different things to different people in so many ways. My first impressions, as I've told you before, were with my grandmother. Um, first service, I told everyone that I think it was when I was six or seven, but my mother's here, and she said, no, 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 you were four or five. And I thought, how could I possibly remember anything when I was four or five? But apparently I do. My first impression of the church, my grandmother took me to church uh, in a, a small church in Michigan where I was born. And um, first thing I remember is going to Sabbath school. And in those days, Sabbath school for us, apparently four and five years old, was a table with a box on top filled with sand. And that sandbox was used with paper or cardboard characters that were printed with pictures of Bible characters. And they would tell the Bible stories by moving these people around in the sand. It worked pretty good for desert stories, you know, wandering in the desert. But for some reason, all the Bible characters lived in the desert. And, but the thing I remember most was do not put your hands in the sand. I got that message very clearly. <laughs> it was very tempting, you know, to put your hands up there and play in the sand, but no, I learned that you can't do that. You don't put your hands in the sand. The other thing I learned with my grandmother going to church was sitting in church with her and discovering that church, I, I really didn't know what people were talking about. You know, I was too young. I had no idea what was going on, what they were talking about. What, what I did learn was that when you're in church, you're supposed to sit quietly and not make a disturbance in church when you're very young. So, you know, I was young, so I wasn't very good at that. My grandmother had a secret weapon. She came prepared. So when I would get a little restless in church, she would reach into her purse and she would pull out these pink mints. Do you know what those are? I don't know if they make those anymore. That was something, because that worked. You know, I get a pink mint, I was quiet, I sat still. And I didn't get pink mints during the week, so church became a highlight for me. 
I really wanted to go to church with my grandmother because I could get pink mints. That was what I remember. <laughs> but as I grew older, church began to mean other things, right? It began to take on more personal meaning. And one of the things that I think was very significant was when I came to Forest Lake Academy. I had already been baptized, but I understood in my head at that point as a young person what the message of the Bible was, the church teachings. Pastor had met with our family and taught us Bible studies. I had learned that, but I had yet to discover a personal relationship with Jesus. It was when I was at Forest Lake through friends I made, people I hung out with, the connections that we had that were more than just friendships, they were also spiritual relationships, people who influenced me in powerful ways. It was there in the Forest Lake Academy that I really first accepted Jesus to be my personal savior, came to understand what that meant. And that stuck with me ever since. I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to be at Forest Lake Academy. It's really funny though because when I was at Forest Lake Academy, they actually asked me to be one of the speakers at the Student Week of Prayer. And that was just crazy because those that know me, and there's a few here that were in Academy with me, um, those that knew me knew that I was like the shyest kid in school. I was super shy, got nervous any time I went up to even make a little announcement in front of people. I was super shy. But why would they ask me to speak? I have no idea. I got through it somehow. I must have, you know, whatever. But those people that knew me then and saw that performance, you know, would never believe that I'd stand in front of the Forest Lake Church and preach. Couldn't imagine that would ever be Tim Nichols. That wasn't who I was. But you know, God has a way to shape us, doesn't he? He has a way to change things and make us what he wants us to be. Just as my understanding of what the church should be what the church could be changed over time. As I became a pastor, I began to see how people experienced the church in so many different ways and how the church meant things in different ways to different people, partly because of the different experiences they'd had and what they had learned about the church over their experience. Today I want to talk a little bit about the church and what it means because I think that there's a biblical intention for the church that often has been lost to us. And it's partly because there's confusion about even the word church. The word church is used for so many things, we don't really know what the church is. We call the building the church. We say the denomination is the church. And sometimes we say the people is the church. Which really is it? What does God want the church to be? So how do we understand the church in a way that we will be able to be faithful to his purpose for the church, that we will honor God's desire for his church? So if you look at the history of the church, you see a lot of confusion over that history. God made it clear to his people, even when he called them out of Egypt, he called them and he invited them to be his people. He spoke to them very clearly about his intention that they would be his special people. They would be a group of people who would not just follow him or honor him, but that they would be a witness to all the other nations. He wanted them to be the light in the, on the hill, to be the place where all the other nations would see them as different and, and blessed because they weren't worshiping all the gods of nature. They weren't worshiping the gods of, of uh, you know, fertility and the gods of rain and the gods of, of all these different things they saw in the world. 
These were the people who were worshiping the one true God, the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, the maker of our lives. They would stand out as different because they followed that one true God. And God wanted them to understand this is the witness that you could be. But they lost it very early. Even wandering in the wilderness, they seemed to forget because they saw all the other nations as only enemies who were pagan and didn't see that they had the opportunity to touch those lives and change those lives because God would have used them. There were some high points through their history where they maybe had some of that success. You think of the time of Solomon when all the countries and nations of the world came to see Solomon because he was known for his wisdom. But I'm not sure that it was fully what it could have been, though that was more like what God intended. Thousand, I mean, hundreds of years later, Isaiah was given a message to remind the people of what he really intended for them to be. And it's found in Isaiah 49, verse 6. Isaiah 49, 6 says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob then bring back those of Israel that I have kept. Notice what he's saying. This is not good enough. It is too small a thing for you just to become Israel, great Israel again. It is not what I desire. That's, that's wonderful. I want you to be restored. I want you to be the great nation I intended you to be. But I have more than that for you. I want so much more this other thing that you would be a part of your purpose. So he goes on and says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Yeah, they didn't get that very well, did they? Not until Jesus came into the world and Jesus dealt with them. They thought that the religion of God was all about rules and regulations. And it was really about shunning those who were not perfect and not faithful. And so they pushed out all the other nations. They pushed out all the other people because you weren't good enough unless you were one of us. Jesus tried to change that. Jesus spoke about the love of God, the mercy of God. Jesus forgave people publicly that they would never forgive and they wanted to stone him or kill him because of his forgiveness to other people who were not the narrow circle that... The, Jewish people thought. He tried to change it. But when it really began to take root, when it really began to have success, to be the people that God wanted them to be was actually in the book of Acts. As the Holy Spirit begins to turn the, the disciples towards the Gentiles. In fact, there's quite a controversy in the book of Acts whether they should even pay attention or baptize these Gentiles because they didn't quite get it. But the Holy Spirit didn't let up. The Holy Spirit directed them very purposefully, sometimes through disciples who we don't even remember their names, but God used them to take the gospel of Jesus to the life of those Gentiles. And it was from that time that the New Testament church began to really be what God intended the church to be. They began to meet house to house. And when they met house to house, sharing meals together, praying together, repeating the gospel of Jesus to one another, the words of scripture, they became an influential power in their world. Became influential because they brought people into those circles of those homes. 
And the church that met house to house, who had almost no resources, the church that was under persecution almost wherever they went, became the church of great influence because it was doing what God called them to do. They were being the light in the darkness. And God blessed them in that. So much so that these little groups of people meeting in all these towns and villages all over the neighborhoods and spread to different uh, countries and different regions, baptized, as we're told, sometimes thousands in a day because they were meeting together, gathering together to remind people what faith in Jesus looked like and to encourage each other along that journey. But then, as often happens, an enemy tries to throw us a curve. An enemy comes in to try to disrupt what God had intended. And so what seemed like a good thing when persecution was removed ended up being one of the worst things that could happen to the church. Many of us know, as Adventists, the story of Constantine. We usually hear him along the way being told to us about the work of Constantine um, because he changed Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday in the Roman Empire. But we often don't realize there's more to that story. And maybe equally or maybe more of a tragedy to the church was not only the changing of the day, but changing the understanding of the church itself. When Constantine became a Christian, we believe it was largely because of his mother's influence. And many historians believe that his mother actually was a true Christian. There's a lot of evidence that she really did follow Jesus, that she um, was a follower of the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he, she really believed as a believer. And through her influence, Constantine decided to become a Christian. We don't have a lot of evidence that it meant so much to him. But he did become a Christian, was baptized. So what happens when he became the emperor at 313 AD and all of this began to take place is that people wanted to do what the emperor does. Of course, you want to have favor of the emperor. You got to look good. You don't want to fall on the wrong side of things. So because he had become a Christian, thousands of people throughout the empire decided to be baptized and become Christians, even though there's very little evidence that most of them knew anything about who Jesus really was or what it meant or how to follow him. And so it became popular to become a Christian. Persecution was removed. People began to be Christians because it was simply the thing to do. And what happened was that the, the places that um, the pagans were meeting, those temples, those houses that where they met on a regular basis, they were called basilicas, which simply means a public gathering place. A basilica was a public gathering place. And so they met there for their pagan worship all up until Constantine makes being a Christian a thing to do. And what happens is those basilicas suddenly become Christian places. And the Christians stopped meeting in their homes in small groups where they prayed and, and influenced the lives of others to suddenly moved into the large buildings, the basilicas. In those big places, the message of the church became institutionalized instead of personalized. And the church really began to lose what was most influential, the interaction of people with one another. 
In fact, there's another piece of that story that's important to us to understand because in the Roman Empire, which was very large at that time, had expanded all over, there was another influence, the influence that had come from the northern tribes of Germany, and those tribes had brought their language into the Roman Empire. And there's a word that they used for a place of gathering like that, even in their pagan worship, it was called the House of the Lord. So instead of basilica, another word came into common use, the word that the Germans used, the German tribes used for the House of the Lord. It's the word kerika. And the word kerika, being German, evolved. And today, that's where we get our word church. But see, there's a significant difference between the church, kerika, house of the Lord, and what the New Testament does to refer to the church. The word that's used in the New Testament comes from Greek. It's the word that's used every time in the New Testament you find the word church. It is the word ekklesia. You've probably heard that before. It comes from the Greek word, the root verb. It comes from the word kaleo, which is to simply call someone. Ekklesia simply meant the people who have been called. So there's a big difference between the meaning of ecclesia, the people who have been called, and the kirka, house of the Lord. You get the difference? One is a people, the other is a place. So how we understand the church really should make a difference, and this is what has created so much confusion for us. But the writers of the New Testament were very clear about what the church was and what God's purpose for it could be. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 2 and 3, Paul greets the church in Corinth for his first letter to them. And he says it this way, notice, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, meaning set apart, in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, reminding the believers of what it meant to be church and who they really were, says it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, it mattered to them that they understood who they were. They were people who were called by Jesus from the darkness of this world into the light to follow Jesus, who is the light of the world. It mattered every way that they were the ecclesia, the called people of God, not just the people who were in a building together. And so Paul also says to the believers in Rome when he writes them the first time, um, he says to the, writer, the people in Rome, reminding them of who they are, to all in Rome, Romans 1-7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see there's a big difference 
whether we see ourselves as a kirka church or an ecclesia congregation, a gathering of God's people. The experience that Jesus desires for his followers in his ecclesia church really needs to be very important to us. It matters how we define the church, how we see the church. See, the church is not a castle for the kingdom of God where people have to come into the castle to obtain an audience with the king. You see, if we see the church that way, then we can't find Jesus anywhere else. We have to come here, bring our petitions here, because this is the only place where he'll hear us. But we don't believe that. We don't believe that you have to be only in a church building to have an audience with God. We believe that he hears us everywhere. We believe that he dwells in our hearts. The Holy Spirit makes us the sanctuary, right? That we become the people of God because he dwells in us. So it matters to us how we understand the church. The church, instead of being a kirka place where you have to go see God, the church is a mission outpost where ambassadors and missionaries are sent out to represent the king and his kingdom to all the people as he calls them to mercy and grace from darkness to light. This means the church is not a building. It's not the building we meet in. The church is in the building when the followers of Jesus occupy the place. The question is not where is the church? The question is when. You see, where the church is depends on the time and the day. On Sabbath, the church will likely be here worshiping our Creator, Savior, God, coming together to pray for one another, to read the Word together, to hear words of encouragement to one another, both in small groups and in large. The church may be here at other times as well during the week when people come together bringing the presence of God with them as he dwells in our hearts. And we invite him to honor our worship with his divine presence whenever we gather together, where two or three are gathered together. But where is the church on Monday morning? Where is the church on Thursday afternoon? The church is in the marketplace, in the home, the school. Wherever God's people are, there is the church. God's instrument of grace to all the people in this community. Have you received his grace? Are you an instrument of his grace? Then you are the church. His called out ones sent into the world. You are the ecclesia of God. The people who have responded to the calling of Jesus with faith. The place we call the Forest Lake Church is simply our gathering place. The place where we experience God's love through the prayers and love we receive from one another. The question has to be asked, of course, do we need more buildings if we think of the church as an ecclesia? Yes, we need more buildings. We do. Probably good that I said that, right? Because the understanding is that the, the, the place where we experience God's love together provides space and room to gather with more people of all ages. 
And right now, the Forest Lake Church has a serious limitation, a serious cap on our ability to gather as God would have us do because we don't have the space for all of the children's classes that need to be be had for them to experience the ecclesia. We don't have enough space for adults to gather together in the smaller groups to experience what God would have us experience with one another as we support each other as God would have us do. We don't have the space. So yes, we need more buildings. It's not about the buildings. It's not about building edifices, beautiful as they may be. It is about having places for us to gather and do what God calls us to do. We need places. This is why we also value the smaller groups that gather starting next week during the spring series that Pastor Jeff will be preaching. When we invite people to form these small groups throughout the week, maybe some on Sabbath afternoons or whatever, and Pastor Jeff will create the lessons for people to study together and meet together and pray together because that is the ecclesia. It is a powerful expression of the gathering ecclesia church when we have those small groups together. The church has a very clear purpose, to gather together those who have heard the calling to the light of Jesus and to bring that light of Jesus to those who have not yet heard the call. You are the church, the called, the gathering of the people who continue to place their hope in Jesus, the people who love Jesus and love each other. As we near the completion of building, which we will do soon, this new physical space We have a unique opportunity to grow in our purpose and plans to fill this place with people God is calling into our gathering of believers. It's not just about buildings. It's about space to live God's purpose. How will we join Jesus in his work of calling people all around us from the darkness they experience in this world into his wonderful light? into his fellowship of mercy, love, and grace. This is the time to pray for God to show each of us how we can be the full expression of his called, gathered, and sent Ecclesia Church.